Anticipate Media proudly presents another episode of the Neat Creative Brief Podcast. This is episode three for December 12th, 2015. I'm sorry it's been a while since I have uh, talked to you, but the holidays are going on and, you know, it's difficult to, to get this podcast out even at five to ten minutes. But here I am, episode three, got a ton of stuff to talk to you about. In the next uh, few episodes, we're going to start with the DJI Zenmuse X5. Now, you may be wondering, for those who are wondering, what the hell's DJI X5 Zenmuse? The DJI, DJI Inspire 1 is an incredible, if buggy, uh, quadcopter that I've been using since released, release. Um, it has um, interchangeable cameras now. It comes with uh, the Zenmuse X3. The X3 is a very nice uh, device on a motorized gimbal that's included as part of the product. And it's kind of like a, a GoPro, 4K GoPro Hero 4 in the air. Then you have the Zenmuse um, XT, which was just announced with a FLIR infrared camera on it. That's brand new. And then you can also attach to the craft the Zenmuse X5. The X5 is the one I have, and there's also the X5R for RAW, which hasn't been released yet, so we're not going to talk about that. The X3 and the X5 can also be mounted on the Osmo handle, which is basically a powered handle with a microphone attachment for you to use these cameras and gimbals off the aircraft. The X3 works on it. The X5 does not yet because it needs an adapter, and Lord knows when that's coming up. So as of December 12th, it's not available. So I've been using the X5. The X5 is essentially a G4, a Panasonic G4 micro micro four-thirds camera in the air with interchangeable lenses. Currently, it works with the 15mm DJI uh, F1.7, I believe, which is identical to the Panasonic Leica uh, lens. That gives you a nice uh, 35mm frame uh, field of view, which works well for aerials. There are other cameras. You can read them all on DJI.com. Other lenses, I mean, you can use on this um, that will work. There's a few of them. You can kind of go to a 42mm and you can go to a a 12, I believe. But I'm going to focus on the 15 because that's what I own. The... um, the camera and the gimbal are very nice. I do find them a little bit less smooth in panning and, and tracking objects than the X3. Looks like DJI has some work to do there in the firmware. They also uh, uh, have it, had issues with the firmware. The original firmware that came out, the images were soft if you did not focus correctly. Now this is a rather large sensor. It's larger than a one-inch sensor. It's not quite a full-frame or an APS-C slash Super 35 sensor, but it's big relative to a GoPro. So that means you need to focus this thing, especially if your lens is wide open. It is a DSLR, a mirrorless DSLR in the air. If you don't focus properly, well, things are going to get blurry. Imagine that. Shocking. Shocking. A lot of people that buy this thing don't know what they're doing, and they complain about blurry images. I took it up. Even I complained about blurry images when I first saw the images, by the way, online, but then realized a lot of people didn't know what they were doing. Then I took it up in the air, uh, focused it correctly, and there's a, 
an X5 fall video that you can find on my Vimeo and on YouTube. X5 fall anticipate media. I linked it in the previous show notes for the previous episode. And uh, you can see it's amazing. In 4K, it looks great. There's about, I'd say about 12, 13 stops of dynamic range there. Just anecdotally, not measured, judging against other cameras in the stable that I've used, the C300, the FS7, the A7S, A7R2, etc. It's about 12 stops of usable dynamic range. It's very nice. It records at 60 megabits a second in 4K, H.264, 420. Yeah, that sucks, but you know what? You're not going to use these shots for your whole entire movie, and you can add grain and kind of cover that up. For your main uh, camera, you really want to use 422 color. Uh, 10 bits, nice too, if you're really going to push and pull the thing. But you know what? If you expose properly out of the box, you can go with 8 bit, 420. It's going to work okay. Um, just, you know, don't make a commercial on it because some client might say, yeah, I don't like that color. Can you tweak that? And oh shit, your image blows up because you don't have 10 bits and 422. Um, so you get to really be on your game or, you know, you can be a little sloppy, I guess. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that. Um, and be ready for whatever the client throws at you. If you have a little bit more latitude in your image, 10 bit 422 or 444, if you're really lucky. And that's what the FS5, FS7 uh, shoot. Um, sorry, the F5, F5, F55. Oh my God, there's so many letters and numbers from Sony. I wish they'd just get their X right. Uh, they could just be like Apple and call it camera every year. That'd be easy. And then you just have to be like camera 2015, camera 2016. The F55, F5, FS7 all shoot 10 bit 422 internally. The SFS5 in 4K does not. It shoots 100 megabit. 420 8-bit and it's 8-bit out the, of the back as well um, which for a primary camera on a commercial shoot or anything where you will really be grading it or handing it off to someone who wants to you know mess around with the thing you really want to have your 10 bits or more in raw you know 14 bits on the FS7 16 bits on the F55 and F5, and Lord knows what we don't know yet on the FS5. I digress. This is an 8-bit, 420, low-bit rate camera. DJI did a good job in uh, removing the noise. They have a 3D noise. We're talking about the X5 again, so we're back to the, the, the flying Jap uh, Chinese camera, DJI. And uh, they did a real good job, and it was a little soft, but when you brought it in, and you added a tiny little bit of sharpening, there was, and you focused correctly, there was a lot of detail in there, and it worked out really well. You can control the aperture in the air, um, You can, uh, which is amazing for controlling shots. Uh, you can, of course, slap a, some ND filter on there. Some crazy people have even put a variable ND, although I don't know how you control that in the air. But this camera allows you to control everything, the shutter speed, the aperture, you can shoot in basically D-Log, which is like V-Log from Panasonic. Cine-like, which is like a Cine uh, 2 from uh, Sony. It grades well in film convert, slap a lot on it. I mean, it's really nice. And as long as you, you expose properly out of the gate and you have a histogram and you have zebras on the DJI flying in the air, you should be okay. Image look great. I loved it. I thought it was incredible. I'm like, yeah, this thing is awesome. And and in, and you could shoot up to really ISO 1600 and get a nice clean image, and you really couldn't do that on the X3, 
Even if you went over 200, the thing would start to fall apart as a small little sensor will. 1600, you can shoot at night with this thing. You can shoot in low light. I mean, it's amazing and it's incredible for stills because you get some legitimately nice shots. I believe they're 16 megapixels in the air from this. It's, it's awesome. And what makes it awesome over another uh, aircraft where you strap on a, a camera like a GoPro or something better like an a, you know, A7S from Sony or whatnot, you can see the live HD downlink off of this thing just like you can at any, one, uh, any, any of the other DJI cameras. So you can control all aspects of the camera from the white balance to the focusing to you know, manually focusing with a wheel or pointing and what you want to focus at for autofocus. You can control the aperture and everything else I mentioned before. You have full manual control over the camera, and you can see it as you fly it. You can even play back in HD 720p, you know, a downsampled version, while it's in the air. You can't do that with any of these other cameras. You just can't. So DJ's, uh, DJI's uh, plus is integration. The minus is, God forbid, this thing crashes, you lose a camera. Well, I guess that's true with the other cameras, too. Um, but you can't use it like, you know, take stills with it because it's not meant for that. You, um, you know, on the ground, unless you get the little handle. So it's kind of purpose built, but it's really nice. The problem, and I'm going to go over 10 minutes for this one, just so you have the full story, is uh, DJI listens to its customers. Now you might say, well, that's a problem. Well, you know, the, the, a lot of hobbyists, a lot of hobbyists still use these uh, things just to fly around and have fun. Hell, I do. I don't sell my images. So I guess you could say I'm a hobbyist on this one, even though I come from a pro video background. I'm not really selling the images because I don't have uh, an exemption from the FAA. All right. So, but, you know, people that don't really do video for a living, they like to fly. They're much better pilots than I am. And they're just flying around and doing their thing and buzzing their neighbor's yards and whatever. And they thought the image was too soft. It's too soft. It's too soft. Now, we all know in the video business, if you take a low bit rate, low color space, um, a low color space detail camera, and you start jacking up artificial sharpening on it, you're going to get a fucking mess. Like the X3 shows, you're going to get all kinds of weird artifacts as you jump from I frames to P frames, frames to B frames and the motion's gonna get me it's gonna get messy, and of course you're gonna have noise. It's just it's nothing good about over sharpening. This should be controlled by the um, the end user, I suppose you could say, the person who is going to edit the video. Let them control it. Or if you really want to get smart about it, put put you know the, the sharpening down to de minimis levels uh, when you're shooting. Uh, D log or, or cine like um, for the pros and let and, and sharpen up the rest for the people that just want something quick and don't have to worry about it. They released a firmware where they just destroyed the camera. Um, they uh, made it incredibly noisy. Turns out the native ISO is 200, not 100, and you could see that 100 push. I think it's a push or pull down. Um, and and past 1600, it was just a, a noisy mess with banding and there's nothing good about that they just destroyed the low light capability of the camera and they over sharpened it to such a degree that you will get in all kinds of weird artifacts and swimming pixels and the limitations of the compression engine were coming out and screaming in your face i suck i suck and they ruined the camera this was a problem everybody went online who actually knows anything about images and started to complain and the good news is as of 
December 10th, DJI has fixed this problem. They've released a new firmware for the X5 that establishes the old kind of soft, not hyper-sharpened sharpening for the uh, log formats. And uh, apparently, although I haven't tested it yet, uh, keeps the you know sharpened image for the non-log uh, picture profiles. It also cleans up the noise, so you can basically shoot at up to ISO 1600 again without a, a big uh, FMS on your screen. And uh, they improved some other aspects of the camera, too. They also released a, an update for the X3. And they released an update for the aircraft to kind of bring back some of the speed they had dropped earlier and, and fix a bunch of other things. One thing you should note, if you own an Inspire 1 with the original X3 camera, you can download this firmware, update the craft and all your batteries and everything else they have you do, and the X3 camera, which will now be Osmo ready, by the way, with this firmware. Then you have to take the X5 Inspire Pro firmware, which also includes all the updates for the craft, put it in the X5, mount that to the aircraft, run through the whole rigmarole again. It will bypass all the aircraft updates because it already has them, and it will upgrade the X5 camera. So DJI is listening. I don't want to bash them over the head because, you know, um, they've made mistakes in the past, but they do listen in both directions, both bad and good, and they, and they rush out to get firmware updates out, and they put out a lot of firmware updates, and, and sometimes it's confusing. The X5 update on December 10th originally didn't have the aircraft update built into it, so if you put that on, it's kind of screwed everything up for you. And they fixed it the next day. The point is they do listen. It really is a good device, and it seems to work quite well. Just don't crash it because you're going to lose $4,000 if you crash it. And um, a couple of quick notes, and I'll let you go because we're at 15 minutes now, and this is just way, way beyond a brief um, podcast, but I had a lot to share today about this X5 camera. Again, you can see the video um, in the show notes from the last episode, episode two of the X5 in action. And I will um, take more tests of the X5 with the updated firmware, but from the videos I've seen of other people, they have fixed all the sharpening and noise mess that they caused in the last version. Um, DJI has propensity for changing their firmwares, and batteries, LiPo batteries in particular, are sketchy to deal with. They need to be conditioned. DJI warns you to do this every once in a while, run the batteries down to like 5%. It's a pain in the ass. It takes forever, but you really need to do it because they keep changing how they figure out how much battery life is left in these suckers. As it turns out, if you do not charge your batteries to 100% and you take them up and really stress them and you're stressing this airframe with this relatively heavy camera on it, you can cause it to go under volts, and if it under volts, it will try to land on you no matter where it is, or in the really worst case scenario, it might just force a landing over water or something, or, or even crash, just cut out completely. You have to make sure you condition these batteries. What I've done is I've let them sit there and, 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 and you know, they self-discharge, which is good. And then when I go to um, do them again, I bring them all the way up to 100%. And then um, if they've been sitting there for a while, after a couple of firmwares, I will drain them down to as close to zero as I can get on the ground and then uh, refresh them. You need to do this if you do not want to risk losing this thing in the air due to a battery problem. This is especially important as you get towards colder uh, climates or, or colder weather. 
with the X5 mounted, with the DJI Inspire 1, not the Pro, which has some better motors, but they're approximately the same. You're going to get about 8 to 10 minutes out of it in warm weather. Maybe 12 if you're lucky, if you're not really cranking this thing left and right, as opposed to 15. And the larger battery, the 48, you can go to like 17, goes down to like 12 to 14 minutes. In the cold, you should expect a few minutes less. In the real cold, if you haven't warmed your batteries, you'll be lucky to get five to eight minutes out of the standard battery in the cold and eight to 10 minutes out of the bigger battery at the most. In the winter last year, I was getting about uh, eight to 12 minutes, depending on what battery I used. You should expect five to eight minutes, worst case scenario, with your old batteries in the cold with the X5 and the Inspire. So you must plan appropriately in the cold. One thing you can do is warm up your batteries ahead of time. DJI sells a warmer for that. It uses a little juice from the battery to keep the battery warm, and it works quite well. You can also wrap it in foam, which is what I've done. I wrap it in like neoprene with uh, some... some um, velcro to keep it in place that works quite well and there are other solutions but you got to keep that battery warm or it could cut out on you forty five hundred dollars is a lot to drop in the ocean or or some snow bound uh, you know landscape somewhere where you can't get to it or god forbid over some property and don't fly over people just be careful so to conclude 17 minutes in um almost 18 now the x5 is an incredibly good camera but there will be a version two. The chip that runs this and the GoPros is from some company, I believe, called Arabella. It is limited to 60 megabits a second, 420. The next version, I'm sure, will update that. Just as a point of reference, decent HD footage, broadcast quality HD footage, is about 50 megabits a second. To get the same quality compression, out of 4K, which is two times the resolution and four times the pixels. Well, two times two is four, right? So it's four times the pixels, two times the, res- two times the linear resolution on each side. You really need four times as much bitrate to cover the extra pixels you've added. So 100 megabit 4K is like 25 megabit HD. 200 megabit 4K is like 50 megabit HD. That's what the FS7, by the way, puts out. And the A7 series of cameras from Sony and the FS5 all record at 100 megabit, and it's not enough. So now let's to get the same quality as 50 megabit HD. Okay, great. Now let's take that same bit of information, apply it to the GoPros and, and this camera, the X5. You're at 60 megabits a second. So you're essentially having the compression bits, the ability, the, the bucket, if you will, to record all this information. It's almost cut in half from a high-quality broadcast HD image. There are limitations with this. It's not going to be you know, a C300 Mark II in the air. That said, it looks pretty damn good. Control your exposure. It looks pretty damn good, and it will cut in well with FS7, RED, whatever the hell else you want to put in there for anything, but I'd say like, you know, a feature film where you want to to put the real actual camera in the air, and there are rigs that do that. So I recommend it with some caveats. It's expensive for what it does. It's risky. 
because it's on an aircraft that seems to have a, a firmware problem and a crash problem like every other week uh, if people don't take extremely good care of it. Props flying off. I just heard about that the other day. They changed the prop mechanism again. It's a little like, eh. So just be careful with that thing. Keep it close by and don't fly it over water unless you have a, you know, you want to be crazy. You, you, couldn't, you can lose it and it's expensive. But the pictures you're going to get out of it are astounding. The main reason I bought this thing was not for aerials. I'm looking forward to the Osmo handle when it's bug-free and actually ready to mount the X5 on it, which is planned. Now you get a very small package that is a very well-stabilized, well-tuned um, gimbal, if you will, that you can run around with. I have a Veravon um, Birdie Cam 2, which handles like up to a big SLR. Which is very nice, but it's this, you know, this big friggin' thing. It's kind of like a DJI Ronin before the Ronin got cheap. And it's a big thing. It kind of hurts your back. And the Osmo is a stick. It's kind of like the stick you hold in your hand and just run around with it. So the X5 with the Osmo could be an incredibly useful, small package to, to capture amazing shots with in decent light that uh, currently I don't really have. Uh, I have to break out the gimbal for that. And I don't like to do that. Or I have to shoulder mount a bigger camera like the FS7. Um, the FS7 and FS5 are two different cameras. And the FS7 has the bit rate and, and, and the professional codec and quality XAVCI and so forth to go really to the movie screen if you wanted to. The FS5 is the same kind of consumery uh, XAVCL codec that you get in the A7 cameras built in. And it's 8-bit and it's lesser. But I'm diverging to make a point. The FS5 is really good handheld run and gun kind of cinematic news camera. And there is enormous value in being have, having something that's small, easy to hold, will last a long time on battery. You know, it's kind of ready to go out of the box and is only a little bit bigger than an SLR that you can have interchangeable lens on, lenses on with a real quality 14 stop sensor in there. Yeah, you got to watch your exposure. Yeah, exposure. Yeah, you have to get it right, just like this X5. But you can get amazing shots. You don't have to run around with a bag of shit to do it. That's one reason the X5 with the Osmo is very appealing to me, and of course in the air on the aircraft as well. That's why I actually prefer shooting the A7R2, the A7S2, um, handheld or with a, with a cage on it, than running around with the FS7 because it's a bigger, bulkier camera they don't have quite the same amount of stuff to work with in post but if you control your exposure they do look amazing and they're easier to work with so do not sit there and go well it's only an eight bits it sucks it's only four two zero it sucks yeah i mean you know if you're gonna pass it off to somebody and it's a critical thing and you're working for nabisco or something it's, it's important but well, the vast majority of work especially corporate work Nonprofit work, uh, stuff where you're going to be doing the color grading and you know how you exposed it and you know how you control the image. That 8 bit 420 is not that big of a deal. Most people can't tell the difference, and your audience certainly won't. So there's a lot of value in that FS5 as a B camera or um, even an A camera for a lot of people. The only reason I don't get it. Is it still bigger and a little bit bulkier than my A7R2? And I shoot a lot of stills. So I like to flip back and forth as I'm running around to stills and video and stills and video. Um, 
So, but it's a compelling camera. And that is also why the X5 is still a compelling camera in its first version. And the gimbal is extraordinarily good. So uh, that's 25 minutes. That's enough. Um, that's not really a review, but it's kind of experiential. Um, I give it a thumbs up. I give buy it, but just be careful with how you use it and how you fly it. Don't drop the thing. Um, I got a lot more to talk about in future episodes. I'm going to talk about the iPad Pro and experiences of that. I'm going to talk about real-world shooting with the A7R2 internal codec after you know six months with it. I'm going to talk about how the Shogun's been holding up after a year and how the FS7's been uh, held up after a year. The Sony FS7 turns out to be a very popular camera. It's renting very well for me. Um, it's used in a lot of commercials and so forth. It's turning out to be a really high-end, good, cinematic quality corporate camera for good money. The Ursa Mini uh, 4K, 4.6K camera, shocking, has not been delivered yet. It's still in beta. I think the image is, is pretty incredible on it. I think it's even maybe a smidge nicer than the Sony, but where the fuck is it? Blackmagic's got a big problem promising stuff and then taking a year to get it out to people, and they're losing sales left and right because of that to, to Sony and everybody else. Um, so FS7, good camera, slow menu, a little weird, a little wonky, but they've cleared out most of the problems. And the last remaining problems with the menu speed and not being able to move your magnification around and noise reduction in Cine EI mode are all going to be solved with the version 3 firmware coming out now in January. So look for that because that kind of solidifies that camera and um, makes it good to go. Very happy with it. Extremely happy with the images and the slow-mo out of that thing. One year later, I have to say, it's a little weird to deal with, but once you get all your menu stuff programmed into the user menu and you start cranking with it, the images are astounding out of that box. And you know what? It's available today. It's been available for a year. So Blackmagic got uh, really good at uh, over-promising and under-delivering. And uh, Sony is really good at uh, deliver over-delivering and kind of under-promising, and I'd like to take something in the middle. That's it for this episode. If you want to contact me, you can uh, go to anticipatemedia.com. There's a contact form there. Fill it out. Send an email to paul at anticipatemedia.com. We're going to talk a lot of tech, but we're also going to dive into some script stuff. One of the questions I want to ask everybody there is, how far would you go to research a script? Would you go so far as to embed yourself, a script or a book, for example, to embed yourself in a situation that could hurt somebody? Not physically hurt somebody, but you know, emotionally hurt somebody. Or could physically hurt you would you go to a war zone would you would you travel you know go on the streets with a z and get yourself into some some dangerous shit to capture stuff like the people at vice do how far will you go to get your images and how far will you go to research a story how real does it need to be to me i think it has to be as real as possible but at what cost so we're going to talk about that and some experiences i've had um, with script writing and story research and how you integrate all of those experiences in a way that's safe and sound and um, and still uh, gives an impactful story to your audience. I'm all about grittiness and reality and, um, you know, in the stories, uh, documentaries are my favorite thing to shoot. Um, but, um, 
even uh, stories that I write and scripts that I write, I like them to come from the heart. They have to be based on some version of reality, and then you can kind of you know change it up for the show. But the best stuff you write is usually the stuff you've experienced or felt. The question will be in future episodes, just how far do you go with that? And what are the costs if you go too far? Very deep, creative stuff. That's why we need to be creative. We need to talk about it. It's a great community. Again, recommend the Go Creative Show, which the Neat Creative Podcast, the original, was built out of. Ben Consoli's doing an extraordinary job over there. Uh, good friend, and I highly recommend you listen to it because I listen to it every time it comes out, every single time. Okay, I'm like five episodes behind, but I do listen to all of them, I swear to God. Extra Shot Podcast, I want to give a shout out to them as well in the UK. Very entertaining fellows, lots and lots of experience there, and um, I love just I just love listening to them. They're very funny, um, good people. I don't really listen to any other um filmmaking podcast because uh, who the hell has the time but if you recommend recommend a good one just send me a note and i'll listen to it websites ericnazo.com i hope i'm saying his last name right naso it's not a z n-a-s-o eric e-r-i-k i love this guy he is a working shooter at a news organization in san diego I think it's nbc or something um, knows what he's doing. Very nice guy and gets his hands on the latest gear for people like us and reviews it in a completely realistic and honest way. He's not a shill for anybody and I love reading his stuff. And uh, we just want to give a, another shout out to my friends at Vimeo and Zakudo, who um, don't sponsor this podcast but have been great through me to me throughout the years. Merry Christmas to everybody. I probably won't get another podcast in before Christmas, but if I don't, Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Um, happy Hanukkah. It's ending um, very soon. A joy and peace to all of you in the world, and uh, I will talk to you soon. Thanks.